Happy New Year to all of you out there in Cancerland, the patients, survivors, caregivers, doctors, nurses, and other providers. I am pumped to relaunch the Man Up to Cancer podcast for 2022. If you're a regular listener, you know that I've been off for a while because uh, horrible chemo, surgery, you know, all that cancer nonsense. But here I am. We KFG, right? This episode was recorded in the fall, and I'm excited to finally share it with you. I'm also excited to let you know that there is now a way for you to support the podcast and to get some awesome perks while doing so. We are now accepting donations on Patreon. Basically, Patreon allows us to generate revenue to support Man Up to Cancer by connecting us directly to you, our audience. Just go to patreon.com backslash manuptocancer and you can see how it works. You can sign up for $5, $10, $20 a month tiers or make one-time donations. There are rewards for subscribers, including shout-outs, discounts in the Man Up to Cancer store, exclusive merch, and a monthly hangout with yours truly. Not sure who that might appeal to, but hey, just putting it out there. Um, On that note, I want to say thank you to our first 15 patrons, these guys and gals, Joe Bullock, Stephen Barker, Danny Riggs, David Lothrop, Brad Hammond, Greg Johnson, Dave Hench, Jamie Wagner, Mike Bigos, Mary Roy, Diana Violet, Richard Fox, Cliff Magnus, Nick Messenbrink, and the Pierce family. You guys all rock, and you're helping to make the world a better place for men impacted by cancer and our families. And without further ado, it's time for the show. Welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. I'm Trevor Maxwell. I'm a stage four colon cancer survivor, and I've got a message for other men. You don't have to go through this alone. What does it mean to man up to cancer? It means reaching out instead of isolating. It means having the courage to accept help along the way. To me, manning up isn't just about being tough. It's about knowing that we're stronger and smarter as a pack than we are as lone wolves. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. We are rolling live from World Headquarters in Cape Elizabeth, Maine. My co-pilot, Kellen Wellborn, is here today in person again. I know. It's, it's, it's been another, what, month since last? I feel it like has. we're on a month cycle, you and I. I am so, I know. I'm so excited to see you here in person. You have your fall hoodie on. <laughs> it lo- could be 80 and I would still want to wear you're a hoodie, looking, though. <laughs> you're looking very, you're, you're the hybrid of, you're from Vermont. Yeah. But you have the main kind of coastal look going on now too. I think you need to pick, I think you need to pick sides here. I think you need, we either need to know if you're from Vermont or Maine. Like if you're from Vermont, then get your Burks on, like come in here looking like a Vermonter. I don't know. I guess I'll never, you'll never, I just like to be a woman of mystery. Really? No, that's not okay. It's Maine or Vermont. Which is it? What if it was like a totally other state and I just threw you for a loop? I started dressing like I was from California. I can't handle that. Oh, man. Next time I'm coming in with blonde hair. It's just that's going to be the route next time. Oh, my God. Vermont's going to kick you out forever. <laughs> I am so pumped to have our guest today. She is <clears throat> one of my favorite people. We met through cancer. She is an amazing oncology nurse. Leah Robert joins us today. Welcome to the podcast, Leah. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Oh, we are. We are super excited. Uh, 
tell us a little bit about, I'll, I'll rave about you later, but tell us a little <laughs> bit about where you're located and, and um, your family. All right. So I am located in Saco, Maine. Um, I grew up in Kennebunk. Uh, well, we moved, I moved to Kennebunk when I was 15, went to school there. Okay. Um, obviously, I have been a nurse for, oh gosh, I think 13 or 14 years now, always oncology. Um, and I don't know what drew me to nursing, actually, <laughs> is um, I remember going, I was at Simmons College uh, at the time. I went to Simmons in Boston for a couple years before I transferred to USM. But I think the first year, everybody's undecided. And then the second year, I had to pick a major. And I remember being in my dad's office. And I come from a family of social workers. So I was thinking social work just because I thrive on relationships and being around people. Like, that's where I get my energy. Really? Are you sure? I, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, so I remember my dad being like, yeah, I mean, social work. It's, it's, you know, a great field. Obviously your mother's a social worker. Your sister is going to be a social worker. Um, but what about nursing? Like, and this is not a diss to any social worker. And, but he was like, <laughs> at the time, he, at the time he was like, nursing kind of makes a little bit more money. Uh, you know, it's like the dad thing to say. Absolutely. And I was like, yeah, I know, but you have to take like a big test at the end. And I am awful at standardized <laughs> testing. I mean, it's awful. And he's like, Leah, that is like four years down the road. Don't even think about it. So I'm like, in that moment, I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to do nursing. So four years fast forward, and I'm taking that stupid test. It took me three times to pass that damn test. And I remember calling my dad and being like, this is exactly why I didn't want you nursing. But I finally passed. And, um, and what drew me to oncology is... Uh, I was in nursing school at USM at the time, and you have to do your senior rotation. Um, and I chose uh, the Gibson Pavilion at me Medical Center. And I just, I fell in love with the nurses there. I think that's what drew me first. Um, oncology nurses are incredible. Um, my colleagues are some of my closest friends. And, uh, and then it's the patients. Um, again, it's that relationship building yeah. and, um, it's not, oh, you're here for a simple surgery and off you go. Uh, make sure you take a cup of colace. It's, <laughs> it's like, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be with you for the next three weeks. And I'm going to help you. Um, so doing inpatient and then transitioning over to outpatient um, has been incredible. Yeah. So let me rave about you a little bit before you go on. Um, <clears throat> and also the other oncology nurses. at. So I get my local treatment at New England Cancer Specialist. And... You go in there, you get diagnosed with cancer, and usually if, if you have, you know, especially when you have stage four, you're looking at chemo, like you're going to be on chemo at some point. So you go, you get diagnosed, you're going to be on chemo, and then you go to the place where you get chemo. It's the, it's the infusion center at New England Cancer Specialist, and you go in and there's probably what, there's like 25, how many chairs are in there? There's 25. Yeah. So there's 25 there's chairs. 25 chairs and a bed and you know, it's pretty close quarters. Like they're not, they're not private. You're, you're just, you're all lined up in these chairs and, and everyone in there is facing this. Everyone's facing this. Usually what is the most intense emotional 
challenging period of their lives. Like you're, you're literally in there fighting for your life and <clears throat> you go in there and you sit chair, you sit in this chair and you're going to get poisoned and, and it's going to be pumped into your veins and you're surrounded by all these people you don't know. And all with this goal of extending your life. So the stakes are super high and the people who are shepherding you through this process are the people like Leah. These oncology nurses are the ones who they are hooking you up to your IV. They are getting you your meds. They are monitoring you for any side effects. They are, they are your caregiver at this time. And so there's the, the practical aspect of like literally administering these medicines that are life-saving, but are like dangerous and can like cause all these side effects. But then there's the emotional piece of managing, caring for you as you're going through this incredible challenge. And so it takes a unique skill set to do those things mm -hmm. together. And Leah and all the other nurses at New England Cancer Specialists are amazing. They are heroes. They are just amazing individuals. And it's the kind of place where I go in and I sit down and I, <clears throat> I don't think to myself, oh boy, I hope I don't get so-and-so today to do my care. Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter who it is. They all are, they, I know that they're all going to do an amazing job. They're going to work as a team too and lean on each other during this process. So I just have to say, shout out to all the oncology nurses out there who are listening to this. To, to the patients who are listening to this, you, you know that these people are heroes. Um, so today on this podcast is a celebration of you and all the oncology nurses who do the amazing work of getting us through these periods of our lives. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Like, that was really nice. Um, I mean, but you guys keep us going, honestly. I mean, there's nothing more rewarding than to help others. And, um, and I can honestly say when I go to work, uh, we love our job, you know, yeah, there's stressors at our job and there's transitions and sometimes turnover, which can be hard. But, um, I mean, it's like some of these people I've known for 15 years of my life and I've seen them more than my family and, mm. um, and they're incredible people. So, and we love what we do in that shows. So yeah, hats off to the, um, the nurses at new England cancer specialists for sure. You, um, yeah, I've been, so I've been told that oncology nursing is unlike any other type of nursing and you've, you've touched on this already, but can you talk a little bit more about what is it about the field that makes it so unique and special? Yeah, I think, you know, when I started inpatient and there was an opportunity for me to go to outpatient, I was really hesitant because when you work 12 hours a day in the hospital, you have a patient for, you know, this one patient, you work with them for three days in a row. Um, you really get to learn who they are, their family, um, you know, their struggles, you get, you get really close with them. And I thought I was going to lose that when I went to outpatient and I'm like, yeah, but I'm just going to be giving a hydration that's 90 minutes and then off you go. Like I'm never, I'm never really going to build that relationship. So I was really worried about that. But, uh, but then I transitioned to outpatient and honestly, I've gotten a lot closer with my patients and 
I remember, you know, you always learn as a nurse is you can't get too close. You need to have boundaries. Right. You know, can't you can't Facebook your friend, your patients on uh, Facebook or friend them on Facebook. <laughs> oh, man, we're in trouble. Um, I know. <laughs> My boss isn't listening. No, just kidding. Um, but honestly, if you know me, I throw all that out the window because if I'm not allowed to have those relationships and to get close to these patients, then I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not going to be the best nurse to them. And I, I shouldn't be a nurse. hundred percent. Um, yeah. And especially when, uh, people are being diagnosed with terminal illnesses, uh, when they are dying, they want somebody to, to be for them and to rally around them and to, um, you know, just to be helpful. And you can't, you can't be that way if you have this wall up. So I think with oncology nurses, we're able to um, kind of take our wall down a little bit and uh, be vulnerable with the patients. And um, I think that's a, I think that's a good thing. Yeah. It sounds like you also really kind of, you know, that's such a personal journey. Like you said, you're not seeing somebody for something that they're experiencing one time, potentially, if it's like a surgery that, you know, just for a particular right. thing that you're really starting to be on a journey with them. And so I can see if you had a barrier up, they're, they're going to notice because, right. Right. you know, they're hyper alert to basically all their surroundings because nobody is more present than somebody who only might have their present. So, right. Yeah. Right. And I think after, and I think we'll get into this a little later, but um, after my sister's diagnosis, I've realized, and before this too, I mean, these patients, they're not, they're not patients, they're people. Right. And their cancer is actually, it's, I'm sure some days are taking over their lives, but they have a lot of other things going on other than their cancer. I appreciate your vulnerability and and the nurse's vulnerability because, and I totally agree with you and Kellen, like, if you don't go there, if you don't really care, like if you don't actually care, then it doesn't work. So actually caring means having real relationships with these people who are going through these life-threatening illnesses. And, and as a patient, Trevor, I'm sure you can attest, like you know the nurses who want to be there and you know the nurses who treat it as a job. Ab absolutely, and it makes a huge difference on my the, the comfort level and and just... You, you get the sense that when you're really, when you're as a patient, when you feel like you're really cared about, that just makes a huge difference in what you're doing. And, and yeah. sometimes, you know, with my infusions lately, I'm there all day. I get there at eight o'clock in the morning, meet with a nurse practitioner, sit down in the chair, get the meds going. And I'm there till three o'clock in the afternoon. There is a flip side to this, obviously, which is in that room, you know, that, and when people like me who have stage four cancer, people who are even more advanced for facing terminal illness, you know that you're going to care about these people and a lot of them are going to pass away. So how, as an oncology nurse, do you process that and manage that and cope with that when that happens with people you care about? Well, I think with, when you're an oncology nurse, you understand the process of life. I, you have a better understanding of what's to come with some of these patients and with, the, with cancer too, it's not that you're diagnosed and then in tomorrow you're going to die. You know, we, we can prep ourselves too, as nurses, yeah. we understand if scans are getting bad for patients, if chemo isn't working, um, 
you know, we know what's to come. So we have time to process things. And I think the whole, when you're able to process uh, someone dying and someone that you're, you've become, become so close to, um, you can, uh, you can be there in the moment more when that time arrives or when it comes. And I think in the beginning of my career, I would come home and, you know, my husband would say, how was work today? And, you know, I kind of would be like, oh, oh my God, I, I mean, I would cry and I, I just, I'd be so upset, but you learn that, um, it, it's actually not your family members that you're going to get that support from. It's your, it's your colleagues. It's my nurse friends. Cause they truly understand what I'm going through when I have a patient who I've been so close with pass away. And, um, and there's nothing more rewarding than being there for someone on their deathbed. I mean, as awful as that sounds, mm. I just, I had a um, really close patient of mine a couple years ago pass away and she was my age. She had a daughter and, um, you know, I, 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 when I looked at her, I would see my life. I would see, oh my God, she's, she's doing arts and crafts in the treatment room because it's her daughter's birthday that weekend. And you can attest to this too, Trevor. Like, it's like, when people are being diagnosed that are your age, it's really eye-opening. Yeah. And, um, and, and that's why it's so important as an ecology nurse to be authentic, to be yourself and to be approachable for these patients so they can get close to you and trust you as well. The grief is real. And so I know the grief that you experience when your patients pass away is real, but you also find a way to um, compartmentalize and not in a harsh way, but just... Um, find a way to grieve in a real way, but also not let that derail you. Uh, but you know, if, if, if you, if you can't cope with the loss, then you're not going to be a successful oncology nurse. Yeah. I mean, it's understanding too, that, you know, you know, that it's part of your job, right? Everybody understands their job. You know, they understand the good and the bad and the ugly. And I understand that with oncology, I have to be comfortable with death. And yes. I think with, I think, and I, I, I have to thank my mother for this because, um, I remember a childhood friend died of mine when we were 11 years old and she had an open casket and a lot of the parents shielded their children from going to the funeral. And my mom brought all of us kids to go. And, and even with family members, when they would die, grandparents, like we were always there and she never shielded us from it. And I think that as a parent, that is so important because it's in it's inevitable. And those people need the support. Um, it's, it's not about you. Goosebumps. It's about Absolutely. giving. So, and, and that's another thing with how I process and going back to, you know, what you were told in nursing school about putting up that wall. Um, I go to people's funerals. That's how I grieve. Um, sometimes I've brought in meals to their homes if I feel like things are going badly at home because the patient um, isn't doing well. But those are things that I do that I, to cope. And because again, it's about the relationships. And for me to be the best nurse, um, that's how I do it. And it might be different for other people and that's okay. But as long as you can be professional about it and know how to cope, then I, yeah. And I love how you said being comfortable with death. I mean, that is absolutely, this culture is so uncomfortable with death. 
And now we can go from a really <laughs> transition from a really intense, difficult subject to one that's funnier is that some of your patients just talk at you all the time about everything in their lives. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I know a lot of things about my patients. <laughs> right. So how, what is that like when someone just wants to like, cause a lot of people, when they get in the chair, they think it's time to just do talk therapy or whatever. But with Logistically, with how does that even work? If there's 25 people in the room and you're not really in a Oh, private, you should see it. Like how oh. much information are you getting of your fellow patients? So, so you should see it because that's another amazing, that's an aspect of their job that they have to do is literally like, like be super friendly to these people and like listen to their stories, but also just like move along. Like the, 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 the machines are beeping over at chair number 17 and that's how it works. Like yeah, yeah. literally like everything's beeping and then they have to walk away. Yeah. It's like, okay. I mean, or, or it's like the older generation too. Like they have no filter and totally. what they think that they, what they think they can say to you, especially like when I was pregnant, like towards the, like, Oh, you must've gotten so much belly touching. Week. Oh my God. Oh, belly touching. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, there was this, there's this one woman who she didn't even know my name, but she knew Pen my, my baby who's going to be born. Her name was is Penelope. So she would call me Penelope because she knew the baby's baby's <laughs> name was Penelope. And she would always just touch my belly. And I mean, what the men would say too, like, God, you must be having twins. Oh God. Like, yeah. That's always oh, reassuring. No. <laughs> no, there's just one baby in there. <laughs> what about your belly? <laughs> yeah. So but, it can uh, be a funny, the room can be a pretty funny place when it's super busy and there's all these conversations happening. But it's good, though, because you need humor in that room. And I think, like, humor will carry you a very long way. And that's why, you know, behind the glass, Trevor, where all the nurses sit. Yeah. I mean, if you could sit back there with us <laughs> one day, you'd be appalled <laughs> at the what we talk about. But we laugh. Like, we have to laugh, like, you to get to. through the yes. days. Oh, man. But, um, I mean, it's like laughing. Like, sometimes we're crying because we're laughing so hard. But... <laughs> So let's talk about, you mentioned Penelope. So yes. you have now had baby number two. She's three and a half months old. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. She's a sweetie. And your other daughter is how old? Yeah. Lucy. Lucy's three and a half. So you are, so with the birth of baby number two, I've heard you are making some changes also in your professional life. Um, mm -hmm. is, is this true? What are you going to be transitioning yes. to? Yeah, I'm really excited. So um, as NECS is growing, New England Cancer Specialists, where I work, as we're growing, we have now four locations. We've expanded to New Hampshire. Um, we are really trying to grasp the feeling of having a more holistic healing center rather than being so... Um, not so medically driven because cancer is medically driven, but I think we pride ourselves on... Um, the research we have, the clinical trials that we have, the collaborations that we do with uh, Dana-Farber. But then there's a whole other side of things. And, you know, it's all about that human touch that we all talk about that's needed. And um, Dr. Patelli, who's our president, thank God she has this amazing vision of creating this healing center. So um, I'm going to be the program manager of integrative and wellness services. It's a new program at NECS and I know I'm super excited. It's right up my alley. I've been, you know, I've been kind of doing this 
the past five years anyway with my other side hustle so I love um, how much longer names of jobs get the more success you get it's like you go from like a one word name now, now you, got, you got four words yeah you got- <laughs> I even me and my boss were going back and forth about what it should be and it is so long but um so basically my goal and what I will be doing is uh, providing um, more holistic integrative therapies such as acupuncture, massage, um, dietitian. Uh, we're going to uh, be having social work come in. Um, we brought in the cold cap to New England Cancer Specialists. It helps women keep their hair during treatment. Um, we're developing a food as medicine program. Uh, so a lot of... Um, education and workshops of how to eat healthy and, and right during treatment. Um, so that's kind of be my job. Yeah. So I'm excited. And then we're going to be moving to rock row in 2023. And so we'll have a dedicated wellness space on the second floor where all these treatments will be housed. So I'll be kind of directing that. That is fantastic. I do want to touch on man up to cancer stuff real briefly mm. in terms yes. of uh, men versus women. So a little yeah. bit oh, about- that's, a, that's not a touchy subject at all. Yeah, no, <laughs> well, not men versus <laughs> women. Let, let me rephrase that. This is, this is not a battle. Um, how men and women cope differently with cancer. I find that there's just that women and men just act differently. I mean, and when we ask for help is, um, is it's just, it doesn't come as often when it, when it comes to men. I think with women, um, we want our world to be big. We want to talk to as many people as we can, and we want to expand our tribe. And I think as women too, I think we're very good advocates for ourselves and for each other. Um, And I think when you talk about the breast cancer community, everyone's always saying there's so much support in the breast cancer community. But I also feel that they talk about it. They ask for help. They are advocates for each other. And so it's hard when these other diseases, uh, these people, it's, it's not that they don't need help. I, we know that they need help, but sometimes it's like, what do they need help with? And with society too, I think we have, um, we still stereotype what men and women should be. And men are, um, you know, the, in a way they they take care of the family. I remember my husband and I, we were, you know, going down kind of a rabbit hole. We have two young kids and hmm. we were just have we were talking and life's crazy. And I said, well, what makes you happy? And he said, provide, knowing that I can provide for my family and the health of my wife and my kids. And I'm like, Okay. I'm like, well, I, a a lot of other things make me happy. (laughs) You're like, I like the beach. I like the, (laughs) I like like my alone time. Um, But it's just, and and I think he would be completely fine with just, you know, sitting at home. Like he doesn't need that interaction. And I don't know. And I'm totally generalizing it because obviously I'm not a guy, but I don't think guys need that. Like, um, uh, those like friendships or the not not that but the the constant human interaction that I think women feed on um there are studies to uh, back this up 100% by the way oh good okay yeah. like, no, this is not just anecdotal like, like no this, this is the, <laughs> okay. what you're what you're getting at is that that's that networking and that reaching out and especially yeah. when diagnosed with a with a life-threatening illness all the science 
points to, and again, we're putting an asterisk on this because everyone's different. We get it. <laughs> yeah, you're going to get canceled. But in, I don't know. In, in general, the, the science, the studies back it up that, that women tend to reach out and network, um, as you said, make their world bigger, especially right. when they get diagnosed with something. Like I need to right. connect with people. Who, and, and men team tend to already have a very narrow um, social <laughs> network. In fact, mo- most men, when asked if they have a, even a single friend that they can confide in about anything real in their lives, they say they don't. They say they, yeah. they might have yeah. their wife. But, but women tend to have at least two or three people that fit that role. So what you're getting at is just backed up by, by a lot of evidence. Well, and too, I've seen a lot of with COVID. I mean, it was kind of crazy with COVID visitors couldn't come to the treatment room. So all these men that really, um, you know, uh, turned to their wives or, you know, for support didn't have that. And it's the wives that were really struggling too, because they kept that notebook, you know, they knew exactly when their next scan was, when their next appointment was, and then, and, and then that loss for these men, I kind of, I felt for them. Um, but you know, it's like Trevor, it's like what you're saying. It's your whole podcast is all about when you ask for help that actually shows strength Yeah. because you want, you want, when you're diagnosed with cancer, you want the best quality of life and you want to continue fighting and keep going. And to be able to do that, you have to have a support system and to ask for help. And it's, Oh, that's a good thing to ask for help. So, so what's the role of the oncology nurse then when you see a guy who you can tell is struggling and could use some supports and maybe he's even hinting like about the darkness that he's facing, but doesn't know what to do. Like, is there a role of the nurse to help him access those supports? Yeah. So we have these um, cute little postcards in our treatment room that says man up to cancer. Oh, wow. That's amazing. <laughs> Thanks for doing that. And I say, here, take this. <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, honestly, I think this is a con- continued um, conversation that we continue that we need to continue to have with our male patients. And I think as a nurse, I really don't think there's tons of support for us to ha- on how to deal with this. So I think what you're doing is amazing. And um, and it's just it, it, it turns on us. If you have a nurse that's timid or shy, you might not get that support that you need. Um, so well, it's, it's just having these conversations and it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out with your new role. Cause as I'm just learning about that, that is, I mean, what a natural segue in the conversation, because you're, you're going to need to appeal to these male patients. Like, Hey, we have, now we have this, these integrative wellness services that you can absolutely benefit, benefit from. And, right. gu- and guess what? If you access these, you're actually going to help your chances at getting through this alive. Um, right. but, but it's your challenge to convince your male population, just like the Dempsey center, that, right. that these supportive services are something that, that yeah. they, that they should access and that it's okay for them to, to access. Well, Cause I bet the voluntary basically use of these services, a lot of the times you're going to see a majority of women. Absolutely. Like, uh, Oh yeah. Like you're going to have a harder time to convince men to, take the time that it's worth the effort that it's worth just that first step. I mean, I have multiple friends in my life who are men who you can see times in their life that they need to go to therapy or that they need to talk to somebody. 
and the barrier of entry to get them to just oh, yeah. send an email or make a call is so much higher than if I'm talking to my female. Uh, you know. And we've touched on what the, the biggest barrier of entry is. And that is that shame piece of feeling like as a man that if I reach out for help or if I get yeah. this supportive services that people are going to judge me as as a as weak. Well, and it's also, right. I think, front of mind, right? Like, I think that as much as it is, I think women can tend to be a little bit more front of mind about their self-care a little bit. Like, I think that, you know, true that self-reflective nature of like, what is it that I need? I think sometimes women internally go there a little faster yeah. than yeah. men do. I don't think men always quickly go to, oh, what do I need? What will, like, right. I feel crappy. What do I need? No. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, that's true. Absolutely. So right. you know, I know. Because then then trying to ask for help is like that next step. It's like getting just to the first step of what do I need? I want to transition. Let's talk about your sister again, Sarah. So Yeah, I oh, saw that and, coming. And the door yeah. slamming. <laughs> um, so you have had family experience with cancer as well. Uh, Sarah, your sister, is a breast cancer survivor. Tell us a bit about her journey. Yeah. So Sarah, um, it was six years ago and she was 32 weeks pregnant, um, driving to her OB appointment. Cause you, you know, you're going so often then, and she calls me and she's, you know, she's like, you know, I have this lump on the side of my breast, but when I brush against it, it hurts. And I Googled it and Google says, if it hurts, it's not cancer. Um, All right. Now said, this is okay. going to be like the oh, one no. time Google was helpful with a, a diagnosis. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I said, well, Sarah, I mean, you're going to see a doctor, have them, you know, look at it and, you know, see what they say. But, you know, I definitely think you need to bring it to their attention. So, um, she calls me after and she says the ultrasounded it, it doesn't look, it looks suspicious. They're going to biopsy it. Um, and then she found some more in her armpit. Um, I mean, so this was like a Tuesday and on Friday, she was living in Boston at the time. And, um, we were all at my parents' house. Um, we were watching the hunger games of all, of all movies and we were waiting for that call and for the doctor to say that it was, uh, it was breast cancer. And then the next week, uh, we found out it was stage three, triple mm. negative breast cancer. So an aggressive type of cancer, um, and then more advanced cancer, and she was pregnant. So And relatively young. How, how old was she at the time? Yeah, she was 36. Yeah. And no cancer in my family. Um, so it was a whirlwind. Uh, I mean, looking back, it's like uh, six weeks later, she delivered Anna, which is, she's now six. Um, and, and now having my own babies, like I look at my sister and I'm like, how did you one week she delivered a baby, had two blood transfusions, and then had her third round of chemo in three days, three days later after having a baby. I'm just like, you're like what the female body can endure is just like, amazing. absolutely amazing. What anybody, what anybody can do, but no, um, pretty much just females. But <laughs> go, go ahead. So, so anyway, so that was in March, and then that summer, where uh, my parents rented a, a house on Sebago, we're all out there. And Sarah works. Um, she started her career at Tom's Maine. She has her MBA, very business savvy. So she's always wanted to go into business, and. Um, should we, should I lead into this? Yeah. So, so, well, let me just tee that. No, no, you're good. Let me just tee that up. So out of the, well, first of all, let's just say that 
with we're gonna jump ahead and say she had treatment and she is cancer free now correct yes she's great yep she's awesome she um she decided to have a lumpectomy she had uh, chemotherapy, she had radiation and she goes now every year for her scans yeah. and she's doing great. Amazing. Yeah. So that's yeah. just a, such a fantastic outcome after a really, I mean, turbulent and what a, at that time of her life, right? I mean, 32 weeks pregnant and everything else. I mean, it's just, it's kind of unimaginable, it's, but she made it through. It's, yeah. Being yeah. a new mom is stressful enough. And like having, I know. A, yeah, that's crazy. And she had a 14 month old. She oh had a 14 my. month old on top. God, those are two close babies. I know. <laughs> so yeah, oh. uh, Sarah, another hero for sure. So, so out of that experience, now we'll, we'll segue into this is that you and Sarah created a business slash beauty brand, like this, a, a legit beauty brand. And so, yeah, you were getting into this origin story about salty girl beauty. So tell us about yeah. salty girl beauty. So, so we're at this camp, family camp, and we're all sitting on the deck and she's like, all right, I'm going to start my own business. <laughs> and me, me and my, there's four of us and my parents. And so she's going down the line, like, Kristen, will you join this, you know, <laughs> Teddy, come on, Teddy. She's shark tanking she you. Looks at me. <laughs> yeah. And she looks at me and I'm like, I mean, like you're I not knew, busy enough. I know. And I'm like, and at the time I didn't have kids, you know, I was nursing and um, I'm like, well, what do you want to do? And she's like, I don't know. We'll figure, we'll figure that out. And, and I always say, you know, as a little sister looking at your older sister, if your older sister asks to do something, you say yes, you know, and oh, she's, man, she's you and boss. I have very different relationships with our older sisters. <laughs> <laughs> and she's a bossy older sister. Um, so yeah. So I'm like, all right. So I don't even, I don't, I mean, we had so many different business plans, honestly. And I went to a wellness conference that fall and there were a lot of entrepreneurs there starting their own, um, like skincare therapies, um, or skin, skincare brands. And, uh, and there was a lot of talk about just healthy ingredients and really, uh, concentrating on what we're putting in, on our bodies. It's not just in our bodies, but on our bodies. Yeah. And there's just a lot of research out there. Like what are the ingredients that are in cosmetics and shampoos and lotions? So I came home from that and I was like, okay, I think I've got something. And so we were having a couple of glasses of wine one Tuesday night and we were trying to think of a name and we were like, okay, we live by the ocean. Sarah and I, if you've met us, I mean, we're the, we're these sassy redheads. Um, we really say how we feel very opinionated <laughs> at times. Um, but we find that as a strength, um, I think salty can be negative, but we see it as a positive thing. So that's how salty girl beauty came. Well, and you, you know, our listeners can't see you, but your skin is fantastic. So it's working. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, it's called, so, yeah, Salty Girl Beauty. And so Salty Girl uh, Beauty has taken off. Like, at, so as you're doing your regular full-time job as an oncology nurse, all of a sudden, and, and then also as part of Salty Girl Beauty, you and your sister created a, a nonprofit as well. Because, hey, yeah. why, why not? Just add it. Just, just tack why it on. Not? So found, Foundation for Love also yeah. exists which is uh yeah tell us a little bit a yeah. little bit about that so foundation for love we we sarah was like if we start this you know llc we need to be sure that we're giving back to our community too um and so we 
really looked, we kind of went back and was like, okay, when Sarah was diagnosed, what did she need? And what did we do as a family to help her through this? So we thought that when we started Foundation for Love, we would really um, try to help the patients disconnect from their cancer and um, connect with their family. So we would send them to, you know, hotel stays, spa days with their best friends, bring in private chefs for dinner. Um, we, I mean, we've done all sorts of things. We would send families to like Storyland or, you know, just to help them, you know, connect again. Cause as you know, cancer just takes over and sometimes kids get the brunt of it. And, um, so we, we've helped, oh gosh, we've helped probably, uh, over 50 families, but since COVID hit, uh, we had to transition that a bit. And going back to my new role at NECS, um, New England Cancer Specials has now partnered with Foundation for Love. And so Foundation for Love's mission and what we will now be doing is giving those services to patients, all those services I talked about at um, no cost or low cost, uh, depending on um, oh, you know, yeah. the, what the service is. So, yeah. So, so okay, so let's recap. Uh, your oncology nursing, uh, raising a family, starting a business with your sister, adding a nonprofit onto that business with your sister. Uh, you're, you're starting to alienate most of our audience now because you're, yeah, you're in this category of like, how the hell are you doing all of this? Yeah. Some days I'm like, sometimes my husband's like, you've got to slow what down. What have I done? <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, I think I'm really good at like prioritizing, organizing, and I'm good at self-care. Like I running is like my therapy. So, yeah. um, but yeah, it's busy, but I thrive on again, relationships and building, you know, networks in the community. And I love that. Well, so. and your, and your message is resonating. So you and Sarah, you and Sarah and Salty Girl Beauty and, and Foundation for Love have been featured on Good Morning America. Allure, In Style, Pop Sugar, The View. I could go on. There's like this huge list <laughs> and other major media appearances. Like clearly, there is you're, you're touching on something that is really resonating yeah. with people. What do you, What do you think the What do you think is hitting the? Um, I think that Sarah and I are relatable. I think that we're just two sisters, and we have a. Um, we have a interesting story of how we came you don't get many oncology nurses um that had a sister be diagnosed with cancer right. and then um you know took these lemons and made a really good batch of lemonade with it um so i think that i think when people see salty girl beauty but then listen to our story uh they can relate to us. I mean, we're just normal women well, just right. hustling. And to your point about being authentic, you guys fight all the time. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, the like oh, like the fights in our office, sometimes I have to close the door because I'm like, but then in five minutes, we'll be like, yeah. where are we going to get lunch where are we today? Go <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, the things family about sisters. Business. Yeah, I mean, sisters, you just, I mean, my family, we just say it how it is. If you're pissing us off, you know. <laughs> uh, but but then but we're the closest family and then you know that night we're having family dinner together um but i i like it that way and i would never want it any other way um so yeah. awesome we, <laughs> we want to spend the whole afternoon with you but we can't uh, so we are going to 
we are going to subject you to the gauntlet of random questions. Oh my God, this makes me so nervous. I don't know why. <laughs> oh, That's you, okay. Even Patrick Dempsey was nervous. He was. <laughs> and you should be nervous too because we're, uh, we've got some doozies for you today. Okay. All right, getting out the list. <clears throat> All right. I'm ruffling my papers. Number one, what's the best type of cheese? Um, goat cheese. Mm, I love goat cheese. That's so Vermont of you, Kellen. <laughs> it is. All right, goat cheese. That's fine. You're wrong. It's totally American. But goat cheese. All right. <laughs> is that like a hashtag America you just yeah, did? It's <laughs> it hashtag America cheese. All right. Have, have you ever sent the, a text message to the wrong person? And maybe yes, like a private text message. It's the worst. Oh, you did. Okay. And you, and you feel this small. <laughs> yeah. Especially if it's uh, about the person you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You think you're a good person and then that happens. Yeah. And you're like, oh, shit. I got to look myself in the mirror and be like, you're not a good person. <laughs> did, that, did this cause some lasting damage or was it okay? Um, no, it was okay. <laughs> it turned out fine. Yeah, right, right. I didn't lose friends over it. Would you be? Would you rather be forced to dance every time you heard music, or be forced to sing along to any song you heard? Oh my God, dance and dance like Beyonce. <laughs> I mean, not just like dance do a little shimmy. I mean, I'm getting down and dirty. <laughs> <laughs> what actor? What actress would play you in a movie about your life? Oh God! Do you ever get stopped on the street where people are like, "Hey," like confuse you with a celebrity? Um, I mean, yeah, but I don't see it at all. Um, come on, who Connie, is it? Well, it's Connie Britton, which I oh, love. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, okay, okay. It's amazing, but it's just the red hair. And then, um, and uh, uh, Jessica Chastain. Oh, Jessica oh, Chastain, yeah. 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 Who yeah. Jessica Chastain always gets confused for like Isla Fit. Like, there's like a whole line of redheads who uh, in act in yeah. Hollywood I mean, can, we look so different. They but they and always the same person. It, and it's funny though because my neighbor looks just like her, and I'm like, okay, you look like her. I don't. But yeah, yeah. I think I know. Yeah, I can see it for sure. I just watched that poker movie. Was it Molly's Game? With oh, Jessica that was Chastain? so yeah. Uh, yeah, that was pretty good. I can see it. Um, White Lotus with Connie Britton is amazing on HBO. Oh yeah, all I you, watched all the, you listeners. You know, I watched that, and uh, I I feel like right now for some reason, like <laughs> everything that's like kind of dark and mundane about you know society, especially white society, you're like, oh I know. man, like, <laughs> just it's <laughs> like, oh my god. If you all had right. to wear one Halloween costume every day for the rest of your life, what would you be dressed up as? Um. Oh my gosh, Trevor. Uh, I don't know. Probably Anna from Frozen because <laughs> my daughter is upset. And that's what I'm going to be for Halloween this October. So I don't know. I love that. Uh, that maybe, no, that's perfect. Maybe Elsa though. Elsa has like a good like swag going on too. I feel uh, like I would choose whatever could keep me in sweatpants. Yeah. Like right. whatever, I know. I know. whatever costume is that. And it's going to be the rest of your life. Like, like yeah. the, the, the boxer. It's got to have an elastic waistband. Yeah, All right. That's true. Um, I want to give you a couple more. Let me see here. It, okay. Let's go to the food question. So if you could, okay. if you could just have one, one food that you were forced to pick for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, my mom's sauce that she makes. My mom's a hundred percent Italian and she makes the best. Okay. Well, that transitions to our final question. I will get you involved in the pizza, the great pizza debate 
It was of 2020. Now it's of 2021. Pineapple on pizza. Yes or no. There is no middle ground. <laughs> yes. I <sighs> <laughs> need that sweetness. <laughs> Do you know? Because it's salty. Trevor, you're going to hate this. But Amelia, my daughter, uh, middle schooler, she had a French question that was what thing would you want to eat most of and it was pineapple pizza and well she had it's been to a great show everybody <laughs> it's been great talking to you um we're gonna be moving along so now i know i know that i can tell you pineapple is ananas <laughs> well despite my my despite my strong disappointment in your answer you're still one of my favorite people in the world <laughs> and it has been a pleasure to have you on the man up to cancer podcast and i would when you get you know let's just revisit this like um not sure how long in the future but i would like to have you back and talk about as you transition to this new role and um i'm so excited to see what you're going to do with it because man if there's a person to do this it's you so congrats oh, and, and let's you. talk let's talk again okay he's also yes. going to need you know a post christmas makeover so the beauty products <laughs> like he needs a glow up this, he needs a glow yes. up this right here does not need much <laughs> let me tell you all right. Well, thank you for having me. And um, shout out to all the men that are be are diagnosed with cancer and going through treatment. Um, keep your heads up and keep fighting. Thank you, Leah. Take care. Thank you. Right. See ya. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. If you want to support our mission, visit patreon.com backslash man up to cancer. Monthly subscriptions start at five bucks, less than a single cup of coffee at some establishments. And if you know a man struggling with the isolation that cancer can bring, let him know about us. The Wolfpack doors are always open.